Precious Metals continue to dig tick down. Welcome to Kitco Roundtable. I'm Paul Harris. Michael McRae is away and my guest this week is Miles Thompson, President and CEO of Lara Exploration. Hello, Miles. Welcome to Kitco. Hi there. How you doing? I am very well. Now, we've known each other for a number of years, Miles, and uh, you've always struck me as one of the um, more thoughtful people in the industry, perhaps more rounded, more experienced. Um, but let's start with, um, you know, what is Lara Exploration? So we're a prospect generator, a little bit of a reflection of the inherent risk with mineral exploration. So we will generate projects and then partner them up with mining companies uh, to lower our risk and maintain in an ideal world a carried participation or a royalty. Okay, thank you. Let's turn to macro. Precious metals got a boost from a US consumer price index report this week that came in tamer than market expectations. It was up 3.2% year on year, slightly below the consensus forecast of a 3.3% rise. Meantime, the weekly US jobless claims report came higher than expectations, leaving the market thinking that the US Federal Reserve will not raise interest rates at its September meeting. China, however, is slipping into deflation, which will likely hamper its recovery and an overall recovery in the world economy. Commenting on this, US President Joe Biden said China's economy faces a number of challenges and he called China a bad guy. Miles, that would seem to be a bit of a geopolitical faux pas, it would seem. I, I don't know why he opens his mouth with these things. It's unhelpful. Um, I mean, I, I think geopolitically, um, you know, China is in the ascendant. They've obviously come out of the pandemic weaker than they were and with lower growth, uh, but they're a force to be reckoned with economically uh, and have planned ahead way better than the US and most of the rest of the world. Uh, I think we need to be working more closely with them rather than trying to point the finger and be critical. So is that kind of um, adversus, adversarial rhetoric, uh, you know, deflection to deflect away from the fact that, as you say, the US perhaps hasn't prepared as well or looked far enough ahead as compared with China? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can argue that there are benefits uh, of the you know democratic process versus the way things run in places like China, uh, but they do have long-term plans and we're playing catch up. Uh, and I think it's, it's easier for, you know, people like Biden to criticize others than deal with their own problems at home. Um, and so I, I find that's a default. And I, the U.S. is not the only one to blame for that. I think that's typical of, of weak politicians around the world. Um, you know, they're, they're dealing with putting out fires rather than having long term plans. Absolutely. I think we'll be talking a little bit more on some of these themes as uh, our conversation progresses. But first, let's turn to mining and uh, a word about our sponsor. Snowline Gold, ticker SGD on the TSX Venture and SNWGF on the OTCQB, is making waves with their focus on a district-scale greenfield gold discoveries in Canada's Yukon Territory. With 330,000 hectare land package and exceptional leadership team, they're well on the way to unlocking Canada's newest gold district. Snowline's 2023 exploration program continues to top the charts with industry-leading drill results. Their latest hole returned 2.5 grams per tonne of gold over 553 metres at the Valley Discovery, making one of the best drill holes ever drilled in Yukon's 125-year history. To stay updated on Snowline Gold's exploration programme, visit snowlinegold.com, ticket SGD on the TSX Venture. 
Now, Miles, a tough time for explorers at the moment. With uh, a few exceptions, it's been hard to raise funds. There's uh, a general lack of interest, although there have been exceptions such as Snowline Gold and their, their road discovery last year collective mining and its Apollo discovery last year and this year, and more recently in the last few weeks, Aston Bay Holdings and Decade Resources with copper discoveries. Miles, what would you make of all this? I think, you know, the exploration business is by nature driven by success. So most people will rationally invest in companies with good management teams and interesting prospects, but really what they want is discovery. So while we're, you know, in theory, we're paid to look, in fact, we're really paid to find. So what drives interest in our sector are these successes. So, you know, to see the kind of draw results coming out of Snowline is encouraging for the whole sector. Uh, each one of these big successes brings more investors in uh, and gives the rest of us chances to you know, make those kind of discoveries ourselves through access to capital. Uh, and, you know, it's a little bit as well why we do things the way we do them. You know, our, our main project is fully funded by our partner so that we're not dependent on the market uh, through the ups and downs of the cycle. Let me push back a little bit on, on one thing you said there. Um, do new discoveries bring you investors in or is it just the same old money recycling in from people that are already in the industry? Yeah, I mean, there is an element of that, obviously. And, you know, if people make money with one thing, they're more likely to invest in another. Like some years ago, uh, between 2011 and 2016, the Lara team uh, were involved with a company called Reservoir Minerals in Serbia. And we took a company from a 10 million market cap through to about 512 million when we were bought out. And most of those, you know, uh, most of the shareholders we have in Lara today are people that invested with us and made money in the last one. But, you know, that said, I mean, we live through different cycles. You know, we have main market cycles, resource market cycles, commodity price cycles, political cycles even. Um, so there are so many moving parts. But if you look at the, you know, the stronger elements of the market, um, the good times, if you will, are driven, I think, more than anything else by success. You look at the run of investment into northern Canada on the back of the Diamet discovery, uh, or, or in Voices Bay, you know, these, these big, big, very valuable discoveries come along every now and then, and they do attract new eyes to the sector, I think. Well, uh, I think you're right in terms of the uh, success, breed success, and uh, also in Yukon, it's noticeable this morning, uh, one of the news releases out today, Fireweed uh, Metals has just announced a $16.8 million financing with existing shareholders, um, and that's at a significant premium to its current market price. So um, it seems the money is available when uh, there's a, a sniff that something good is happening. Yeah, and I think, you know, they've they've been sort of um, not been an exciting story for a while on the back of what they were doing in the zinc space, although, you know, those are good deposits. I think it's their new, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, a, a tungsten deposit, which they found within their existing portfolio, which is, yeah, which has kind of re reactivated that whole story. Um, but again, I mean, those are good people. Those are good, you know, it's good deposits. Um, they are deserving of support. There's no question. Excellent. Okay, let's turn to some of the metals and mining news this week. Uh, Barrett Gold Chief Executive Mark Bristow said the Western world needs to rethink its attitude towards natural resource exploitation due to changing socioeconomic currents impacting the global economy. He said deglobalization and a risk on situation in the global economy requires companies 
and countries to reassess how they source minerals. I think Bristow, Bristow also highlighted that uh, the company's replaced 125% of its depleted reserves, reserves on a gold equivalent basis since its 2019 merger with Rangold, which he maintains gives the company a competitive edge over the, those that have to acquire assets to counter their depletion. Miles, I imagine uh, you agree with uh, Mark Bristow's exploration message there. Um, but what about his call to changing attitudes to resource exploitation? I think he's referring to, let's call it the colonial mindset where, you know, we go over there to bring back resources to the motherland and keep all the, all the benefits for ourselves. I mean, I think he's right, of course, um, but I think those changes are already happening. You know, pretty much every government in the European Union, US, Canada is now um, putting direct support into mineral exploration in their countries and into projects that will feed into their economies. Um, and you know, non-typical investors like the, you know, like the car companies like Tesla and Stellantis and others are making big bets in the mining sector, which you, don't, you see very, very rarely. You know, there was a, some years back, there was a rush for the, of the car companies to buy um, palladium, but they were buying palladium metal. They weren't going back to the mining projects. Whereas now you're seeing industrial uh, companies and you're seeing countries investing directly in mining. So I think that's, you know, I think there is people have understood that message uh, and those changes are happening. Uh, and I think, you know, um, Barrick's production has declined a little bit since Mark took over, um, but he's brought discipline that perhaps was long lacking in Barrick. I mean, I, I worked for them a long time ago, and so it's not not something I follow that closely. But um, I, I think you know that kind of leadership is important with big companies. So they don't run away and spend everybody's money on um, kind of high high profile acquisitions and bring some discipline to the bottom line. Okay, thank you. Now, in Chile, Chile state copper company Codelco, or should that be Codeco, could become functionally insolvent as its level of indebtedness could increase from 18.5 billion US dollars today to 30 billion by 2027, according to a report from Copper Study Center Sesco. While its production has stagnated, the company is experiencing average cost overruns of 50% on its $32 billion portfolio of structural projects. But Miles, you, you've got a lot of experience exploring for copper. Um, why are copper pot deposits so expensive to develop? There's no short answer to that one. I mean, you know, I, I feel sorry for Cadelco. I mean, you know, they're a state-run company, so they're having to provide an awful lot of, uh, follow a lot of, you know, state guidance and political lines of thought and investment, which, you know, if they were an independent mining company, they wouldn't have to do. Um, but they are basically victims of the fact that they've mined the best of their deposits. So they're now having to, you know, tens of billions of dollars in investment to go turn them all into, you know, big expensive underground mines and block cave them. So that's, you know, that's a, a fairly special case. Um, and, you know, they're, they're a victim of their history. That's a, a great company that's um, needing to spend a lot of money to stay current. Um, copper generally, you know, they're just such big industrial projects. You know, you, you're, you know, you're, you're doing hundreds and hundreds of kilometers of drilling to define them just because of their volume. Um, you know, they're massive capex, I mean, five to $10 billion. You know, I remember we, we had a joint venture with Freeport in Serbia. And when we were negotiating the agreement, you know, we were arguing over how long it should take to get to feasibility. And their average was 15 years. 
I mean, I think people don't really understand the timescale. You know, you can focus on you know, how expensive they are, you know, big numbers for the capex, but you know, they pay for themselves. They're, you know, they're once they run, they run for decades and decades. Uh, but it takes you know twenty years plus to get one built. Um, you know, the ones being built now are ones that we you know, often were found in the sixties and seventies and eighties. Um, and I think that's what's that, that's what brings the inelasticity to the copper market and why you get these surges in price because you just can't switch them on and off. Thank you, Miles. Now for a prospect generator such as Lara, you know, with copper, I mean, there's a copper supply deficit coming, um, the pipeline, there's not a great deal in it. So does that mean there's a, a lot of demand for the copper projects that you may, or deposits that you may find? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the smaller commodity metals are always harder because if you find something, you've got a list of maybe 10 people you can go to talk to about uh, investing in them. You find a copper project, you've got all the big mining companies, all of the big private equity companies, a lot of other, you know, specific investors that might want the commodity. Um, so it, it's, you know, Copper, copper it, Dr. Copper, it's, a, it's an economic indicator. You know, if, if there's economic growth, there's growth in consumption of copper. Um, so if you find a decent copper deposit, you will be able to find somebody that wants it. Excellent. I think the, uh, the, the way that Aston Bay and uh, I've forgotten the other one I mentioned, uh, Decade Resources, their share prices shot up over the past couple of weeks on discoveries uh, is testament to, to what you're saying there. Okay. Um, in the United States, Perpetual Resources agreed a settlement with the Nez Perce tribe to resolve a Clean Water Act lawsuit brought by the tribe in 2019 over alleged pollution discharges into the East Fork, South Fork Salmon River from historical mining within the Stibnite mining site in Idaho. The agreement provides for total payments of $5 million US million by Perpetua, including contributions to a water quality enhancement fund. The settlement is a key step in their process to permit the Stibnite project, which will produce about 300,000 ounces a year of gold and critical mineral antimony. In October last year, the US Forest Service backed the company's preferred approach to environmental management, with Perpetua anticipating a record of decision next year. Also on the environment side, New Gold suspended underground mining at its new after mine in British Columbia, Canada, as a precaution after an inspection of its tailing storage facility showed geotechnical variances. Mining is suspended to allow further review by their engineer of record. The company recently reported a net loss of 2.6 million US dollars for the June quarter, having produced 102,000 ounces of gold, equivalent at an all-in sustaining cost of $1,657 per ounce. The company has not made a net profit since the December 2021 quarter. Finally today, Ecuador presidential candidate Fernando Villavicencio was assassinated in the financial district of capital Quito on Wednesday evening as he left a political event. He was a former member of Congress and taken a hard line against corruption. The first line of the, the first round of the presidential election will take place on August the 20th, with the president declaring a state of emergency. Miles, let's use this as a, a springboard to talk about sort of country risk. Latin America and its individual countries seem to cycle through risk on, risk off. You're active in Brazil, Peru and Chile, and you've been uh, active in other countries. Where, where do you see risk at the moment? Um, so I think there's, there's, two, there's two parts to that discussion. Uh, obviously, political risks, the changes of government, um, they tend to be, a, with South America particularly, 
the pendulum swings between left-leaning to right-leaning uh, in most of the countries. Um, so we have a lot of governments are becoming more left-wing or more populist, um, which is sometimes bad, sometimes good. It varies a little bit. Um, I think, in my view, political risk is something that you can't do much about other than wait it out. Um, I mean, I tend to look, you know, we've had a lot of troubles in Peru in recent months. Um, I've taken that as an opportunity. So we're actually doing more in Peru now because of that. Um, we're there, we see that life goes on uh, and things will in due course settle down as you know, discussions are had and agreements are made to deal with the underlying issues. Um, from what, what it sort of affects me more in the day-to-day, I think, is the local element to it. So within your community, within your town, within your uh, region, within your state, how, how functional is it? I mean, I, you know, I don't, we don't work in Argentina, but there's a good example of that going on right now. I mean, you can work in Santa Cruz and you can work in San Juan, and it's an awful lot harder to work in other parts of the country. Um, you know, I, where we are with our main project in Brazil, in the Carajas, you know, we're, we're uh, very close, you know, tens of kilometers or less away from sizable operations owned by Vale and BHP, we're on the highway where, you know, we've got power lines. Uh, we're between two towns that serve, my, you know, serve basically Valley's mining operations. So we're, the risk for us is relatively low because we're within a mining region. Uh, and that's probably more relevant to us than what's going on uh, at the sort of the federal level in Brazilia. And let's sort of focus on, on Brazil a little bit, if if, if we may. Um, in addition to the, the the sort of extensive mining history and and uh, uh, tenure that you're talking about with some of the biggest companies in the world, Brazil's grid is also predominantly supplied by hydroelectric power. So you've got the potential to have some of the lowest carbon emitting mines in in the world. There, that must be a, a huge benefit when you know you're, you're looking for partners and looking to to raise funds. Yeah, I mean, at the level we are at, that doesn't affect us. But if you look at the way, you know, the, sort of the, the projects that are in construction right now and that are having to adhere to ESG guidelines with their project finance from banks and from institutions, uh, that's becoming a big factor. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a strong positive for a lot of the new projects coming through the pipeline now in Brazil. Um, for us, you know, for us as an early stage explorer, it's less relevant. Um, but I think, you know, we're all, we're all being driven to be more, more, um, aware of the SG potential of our projects, you know, which, which are the projects that are going to get more support, which are the ones are, that are the kind of projects that people wish to invest in and own, uh, as we move through, forward to sort of a transitional economy of getting away from carbon emitting generally. So I, you know, I think it's, I think it's an important factor. Um, but it's, I, I guess, interesting to me, given the opposition to the construction of those hydroelectric powers from the same institutions and NGOs. That is quite curious. Now, also in Brazil, President Lula is calling for de-dollarization, you know, to separate and move away from the US dollar. How could this impact the way you do business there? I don't know how realistic that statement is, like many that he makes. Um, you know, he's, he's very much left wing and very much a populist. Um, thankfully, the Brazilian economy is quite a mature economy. Um, it's quite a broad base to it. Uh, and it's quite democratic. So 
you know, I, I think the world in general would like to move away from uh, dollar as a reserve currency, but I don't think that's realistic in the short term. Okay, thank you, Miles. Now, to sort of wrap things up, what are potentially some of the, the highlights or milestones that we can expect from Lara over the next six to 12 months? I mean, the big one for us is our Planalto project in Brazil. We made one discovery called Homestead in 2019. We made another one called Cooper Zero in 2021. And we're doing a 10,000 meter program at the moment, which is joining them up. So we're pretty excited about um, what we're doing at the moment on the ground. And those results will be out between September and December. And we have a PEA on the project uh, by the end of the first quarter of next year. So that's, that's really what's exciting in our near future. Well, the best of luck with that, Miles. Um, that's all from Kiko Roundtable this week. Follow me on Twitter at Paul Harris Gold. Miles, how can people get hold of you? Um, LaraExploration.com is the website. There's links there to get to us. Uh, we're obviously happy to talk to anybody interested in what we're doing. Uh, and we really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you here today uh, uh, on the Kitco platform. Well, thank you very much, Miles Thompson, President and CEO of Lara Exploration. Thank you very much for joining us today and have a great weekend, everybody else. Thank you, Paul.